Today's guest is someone who has worn so many hats in the entertainment industry. Nila Rabekens previously worked in media in Northern Germany. She's also worked for MTV, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, and worked as a senior editor and playlist curator for Spotify in Berlin. And after moving to Sydney in 2019, she worked in strategy and operations for Spotify's local office. These days though, Nina sits in the big chair at global music distributor in Grooves locally. Not only did she take on the role right at the start of the global pandemic, but as managing director, she now oversees business operations in Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, and Southeast Asia. It's not surprising then that she recently has just been included in the Billboard International Power Playlist for 2021. It's actually quite exciting for us to have a guest with such vast experience across the different parts of the industry. And it's equally as exciting to be chatting to someone who has invested in independent music while still being tied to the major label machine, thanks to Universal Music Group's acquisition of Ingrooves in 2019. Nina, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So let's get straight into it. How did you end up being the curator at Spotify in Germany to taking the role here in Sydney to then becoming MD at Ingrooves for Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, and Southeast Asia? That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Life story go. Yeah, oh, okay. I think I, I'm good at embracing opportunities. Spotify was a little bit of an accident. I don't know, it, it sounds a bit weird because especially once I joined, I realized what I'd done, but um, I, was at MTV um, and then Nickelodeon and then at some point it didn't feel right so I took a little break and whilst I was on that break um, a former colleague of mine from Viacom said hey there's someone on mat leave this is exactly your vibe why don't you fill this position and I said ah you sure? I don't know. I, I was the head of content already, so it felt like a step back, but I also I didn't have a plan B. So I thought, okay, well, let's do it. And it it sounds so weird because when then usually Spotify does this um, intro days where everyone goes to Stockholm and then there's this huge um, presentation. Everyone's there, Daniel's there, and Katarina Berg, the um, HR head, said that they get... 100,000 um, applications each month. <laughs> so I felt like, okay, that was a little bit lucky. <laughs> <laughs> wow, 100,000 applications yeah, each month. And that was 2017, so no idea what it, what it looks like these days, probably more. Yeah, wow. Okay, but then the jump from Spotify to MD at Imgroves. Mm -hmm. like um, yeah, so I... I was at Spotify and I was very happy. It's an it's an amazing job. I I absolutely loved it. But I've also spent 10 years in Berlin and at some point I thought okay, what's next? And especially as a as an editor, it's very it's very niche. It's a very niche job. All you do is listen to music all day every day and that sounds lovely, but I'm also very strategic person I love um, looking at the bigger picture etc and I didn't think that I had the inf uh, the opportunities there that I wanted to um, pursue so and then also being in Berlin for 10 years thought okay what's next and then my partner's Australian so we thought okay let's let's give Australia a go again not really with a plan <laughs> yeah and then we just packed our bags and moved and 
Let's go. Much? Oh, sorry, you go. Luke. So yeah, you came. You came to Australia. You still worked for Spotify for mm-hmm. a little bit, um, and yep. then when you came, when you moved to Ingrooves, did you was it an advertised position? Did nope. you get like how did it how did it happen? <laughs> no. So um, lucky for me, um, editor jobs are really hard to fill because it's a very specialized job, and so when I moved to Australia, they still hadn't found someone new. So I took this job and just moved to the This is a Spotify. Of, yes. Yeah, the, yeah. the to the Sydney of, office. Yeah. And just was on a contract and and I my playlists were pr- pretty global so it wasn't wasn't really important for me to be in Berlin. Yeah, and then um I did that for a while for a couple of months which, which was amazing because I also got the chance to get to know the industry when you're with Spotify that opens a lot of doors it's just um, how it is and then I think one or two weeks before my contract was supposed to end someone in the Australian team resigned the um, manager for market strategy and operations so really different role but I said look I know the company really well I know the business analytics part of it so if you want me to I can stay because I still haven't figured out what I what I wanted to do <laughs> as a next step Gesundheit thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and then I did that I didn't really know if I wanted to do that full time as the next step but it was again really good for me to get to know the Australian market a little better so I worked with um, the leads in in the Spotify team on the um, strategy for the next year the planning um, the budgeting and all that so that really helped and by the time I did that I had started talking to the people at Ingroove so one of our label partners here in Australia who I knew before just mentioned that I moved to Australia and he said hey you should you should talk to Nina she's in in market now and then yeah I had a couple of conversations and especially with Bob Roback our CEO and I really liked the whole vision that he had for for the company and um, we got along really well and then at some point we decided let's give it a try so became country manager for Australia and New Zealand what is that vision for the company? What is that vision for the company? Um, well, the vision is that you should, as a distributor, empower independent artists and labels in a way that um, they can take as much ownership over their creative process, but also their business and their growth as a business as possible. And we do that by of course, having a great team in place and experts in their their fields to guide them, but also technology that gives them the right tools to do it themselves. Because I think that's something that's still lacking a little bit in that indie space. A lot of people don't really know how to monetize on their opportunities and, and how they really take ownership on how how to read data and what to do as a next step and really build on that. That's interesting about that vision as well, because that seems like a vision that will exist 
no matter who's in that top role as CEO. Mm-hmm. And we know that Bob stepped down recently as CEO and you know, you have mentioned that you're part of the leadership team that will then mm-hmm. step in to help make decisions before a new person has come into the yeah. role. What does that look like now? Like, And do you think that the vision has the capacity to change with a new head of the company? Yes, unfortunately, Bob decided to leave. I'm very sad about it mm-hmm. because he's been a great mentor and a great boss. Um, however, as any good CEO, he's not so involved in the operational part of the business. That's that's led by me, by our CFO, Jeff, and and other leaders in the in the company. So will be fine <laughs> without him, even though I'll, I'll miss him and the strategy is already in place. So what it will look like now. So I'll finally go to my onboarding in L.A. two years in. Oh, my gosh, because you haven't met anyone. No. Yeah. No, we're close <laughs> friends, but who knows? <laughs> Let's see. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll get together as a leadership team and discuss what the next steps will be. So it's not about reinventing the wheel because it it's working already but really putting in place an an implementation plan to say okay this is what we need to do to um, keep the ship steady until someone new steps in and then we have something to hand over to um, you know that is already in good shape and Bob isn't gone he'll stay for for a couple of months so it's not this surprise bye so Mm -hmm he'll he'll help us on that way and do you have do you have an idea of when you might have a new ceo there's no one in the running at the moment oh, it's not me interesting oh well i, I mean look at your your past you could easily take it on why not the rest of the world look at all the countries you're currently looking after <laughs> you never know no i don't know I, there is no real timeline and as far as i know there is no candidate already on the horizon yeah, but yeah. Who knows? I want to talk to you about what that experience of moving into this role within a company based in Australia, uh, sorry, within a country um, that is so different to what you are used to. You know, mm. our Australian music industry, in my opinion, can be a little bit clicky. Mm. And mm. I want to know what that experience was like moving in. Was it were you embraced? Were there was it a bit clicky in your experience? Well, I mean, it was a very interesting experience because the the first month of my, you know, the the start date of my, of my um, Ingroves journey was in the first during the first lockdown. So before, I thought, okay, well, I have gaps. I definitely have gaps. I don't know a lot of people. I know some, but not a lot. So I'll just go to every networking opportunity and I'll just put myself out there and then <laughs> lockdown happened and I thought okay you're a fraud. You know oh. they'll <laughs> they'll figure out that you can't do this. So that was a little bit of a shocker. A bit first. of imposter like, syndrome yeah, happened. Mm, yeah, a little bit, definitely. And, um, Welcome to the club. Welcome yeah. to the imposter yeah. syndrome and, club. And I, think, and that's, I think I'm lucky in that way that everyone felt the same. Everyone was in shock. Everyone thought, oh, I'm very progressive to say, well, this will be at least for two months now. And look at us now. It's still not amazing. So at some point, people just realized, okay, this this zoom reality is here to stay and then it was a little bit easier but it was it was tough to the first couple of weeks to realize okay this is not 
how I planned it to be and the gaps that I definitely have won't be I won't be able to fill them in the way that I planned it. So, yeah, but then again, I also I was pretty busy looking at our our business and understanding the global setup of the business because it's a very complex one and not so easy to wrap your head around with all the technology bits, etc. So I spent a lot of time talking to everyone and then looking at the Australian market, which I knew a little bit, but also not to to a degree where, where I could confidently already say, okay, let's make all these changes. So I did a thorough marketing, uh, market anal analysis and just looked at, at where our business is currently positioned and what we should focus on, et cetera. So, yeah. That's, that's really interesting as well, because I was going to ask you, how does Ingroove differentiate its offering to its local competitors, you know, companies like Believe, companies like Orchard? Yeah. Well, I think Ingroove is um, a partner for top tier labels, first and foremost, just because of the setup and what we offer. And in a very crowded distributor market, you have to differentiate yourself and you have to, instead of trying to be everything to everyone, you have to really focus on the parts that you're really good at and look for the perfect partners. Because oftentimes I have the feeling that especially in the in the label and artist and manager field, they look at a distributor from this, oh yeah, well, you I give you my my content, you deliver it, job done, and you maybe pitch it to to the DSPs. And we are beyond that so um, for me it's also from a from a business development perspective it's really important for me to find the right partner so I don't I don't go into partnerships just for the sake of partnerships but um, really finding the people who have similar values who are looking for the for the same things who are excited about the technology I'm sorry um, technology part as well so um yeah can you can you um articulate exactly the the i guess whether it's technology whether as you said you guys do more than just deliver to um services like what is that more like yeah. what is the why would as a label or a manager or an artist come to ingroves as opposed to orchard or believe or mm -hmm. any of those other sort of competitors out there what is the usp that orchard have uh, that ingroves have sorry um well for the last five years we invested heavily in um, AI and machine learning. So we have a team of scientists sitting in Canada working on patterns and, and developing marketing tools that help artists and labels reach um, a high value fan base rather than just you know, you can you can book an ad online and you can use all the tools that that there that um, are out there. But with the technology that that we build, instead of just you know targeting a um, a certain market and a and an age bracket, you can find fans that are very likely to really enjoy the music that you share based on the um, the data pool that we have um, within Ingroves, but also the whole of Universal Cattle. It's the it's the biggest data set in the world in the music biz. So having access to that and 
creating a formula that then translates into reaching out to a fan base that really makes sense for that artist in that in that space is um yeah so how does that practically work how do i reach out to these fan bases like how does it is it on as in targeted ads on spotify or is it off platform or how does that work yeah so we have um one tool that's called smart audience that lives within our platform and it works via um, Facebook Business Manager. So you reach out to audiences on Facebook and Instagram for now. Mm -hmm. And um, usually what happens when you book an ad on, on Facebook and Instagram is you put in your, your targets. What do you want to achieve? Who do you want to reach out to? And the cohorts that Facebook um, picks for you is based on who's most likely to click the ad and not who's likely to become a fan and listen to the music and really enjoy it. So our team of scientists thought, okay, we can do better than that and uh, looked at ways of um, using our data set, the, the historic data that we have from this artist and similar, similar artists and um, create a new cohort based on listening behavior and people who maybe have never heard of that artist but are most likely to really enjoy it based on their listening behavior not social media behavior and then you can create um, the facebook ad just like you would do in in a facebook business manager and then when the time comes to send out um, the the ad our tool will say, hey, Facebook, thanks, but let's use these people instead. Mm. And so far, um, um, our, our system is 2.3 times more successful in creating long-term um, listenership in that space. Is that, that sounds incredible. Is that in-groups technology or universal yes. technology? No, that's in-groups technology and we have a patent so no one else can have it. That's so <laughs> and, cool. And, and so, oh, it's very exciting because you've come from Spotify as mm. well and that's huge, That's a large part of that product yes. too. And, yeah, yeah. And that's, the technology was one big decision maker in that space because one smart audience wasn't really developed back then. But another thing that I found really interesting was how Ingrooves looks at analytics tools because usually every every distributor has this overview you have a dashboard you see what's what's been going on etc and oftentimes um, as a as an editor I realized especially in the indie space people don't really know how to read data and um, they need help to make sense of it and identify marketing opportunities so in, in our analytics suite, there's something called Songs on the Move, and it's like a news feed when something's bubbling between your track and the fan. So you get a little, little pop-up and it says, um, your track um, is connecting with an engaged audience on Apple Music, and then you can click on it and you can see a more detailed view on um, you know, where it's happening, location, um, if it's active or passive. So that's also very important that it's not all coming from one playlist, but it's actually um, people seeking out the track themselves. They they save it to their user collection, et cetera. Sorry, can you just, just briefly define the difference between active listening and passive yeah. listening and why active is better? Yeah. 
passive listening is everything that comes from um, an editorial playlist, a radio play, or anything that the, the auto play that that happens after you listen to a playlist. So um, basically, the fan didn't click actively on on an artist profile or searched for the track. And um, an active listen listening behavior is when someone saves the track to their user collection and listens in their own playlist. They go to the artist profile, they search for the track. That's all lean-in active behavior. And so passive listening is music that is fed to you, and active listening is yeah. music that you feed yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, is that does that explain why some artists have crazy amounts of plays but can't sell tickets? And others yeah. don't have that many plays, but end up packing out, um, packing out stages at Coachella and sell thousands of tickets in California. Mm -hmm. Is that why? Because those artists might have a lot less listeners, but they're all active listeners, as opposed to some big pop acts that might have crazy amounts of passive listeners, but they're not. Yeah. They're not leaning in. Yeah. You can also see if you if you have the insights, you can see how many streams per listener um, this artist has and an artist that is established that has an existing active fan base usually has more streams per listener than the other way around and and artists that have a lot of playlist features but don't have that active audience have usually just 1.3 streams per listener and that means that a lot of people just listen to the track once probably didn't don't even notice that they listened to it because they listened to this track within a, a playlist environment. So how does Spotify make those editorial playlist decisions? How did they make them when you were there, I should say? You know, how much of it is personal taste? How much of it is data-led? How much of it is some kind of political decision based on something else? How does it work? How did it work? Um, well, you try to be as um, well. Your your personal taste shouldn't play a big role. You can't. You're always a little bit biased, and also they they hire genre experts because they are genre experts and they have that taste maker appeal. But usually, if you you know you you take a step back, I was I was um, focused mainly on electronic music. And when I, when I joined Spotify, I realized that there wasn't any space for the more underground-leaning electronic music that is very important in Germany. So I thought, okay, cool, let's change that. And um, then usually how you, how you start your um, hypothesis around a playlist is, okay, this is, let's say, German techno is a huge movement in Germany, but we don't have a playlist for that. How... How do I how do I change that? And then in in that specific case, um, usually you spend a lot of time thinking about a name as well. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's how Techno Bunker came to life, um, which is pretty intense when you when you listen to it. It's very dark. It's very uh, Berghain kind of um, sound. But it immediately makes me think of underground EDM. Which yeah. is a genius name. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, then you you test out stuff. So I was in Berlin. I, I was a techno DJ as well. That helped with that uh, project for sure. So the first the first step was I knew the important players in that in that um, genre. So I started with 
with a playlist that I thought would fit the bill. But then it's kind of a collaborative effort with the people listening to the playlist. So once you started a playlist and a new playlist in particular, you'll see how people react to certain tracks and you see certain metrics and then you'll have to find the balance between not compromising um, the overarching theme of that playlist and also giving the people what they want in that space. So that's always the balancing act. But usually once you put something in a playlist, it's really out of your hand. And it's also sometimes, especially music industry people reaching out to, to editors saying, hey, it should be higher in that playlist. It's a, <laughs> sorry but it shouldn't um, that is what the people are saying can so. you unpack that sorry what, what do you mean what do you mean by it's out of your hands as soon as you put a song in the playlist yeah so if i mean i i don't want to talk too much about this because that's not it's what not i mean but anymore. get it yeah yeah but it's curious, very interesting yeah. yeah yeah but it's it's uh, yeah you you look at the the data and the 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 reaction of the users within that play every playlist is its own little universe and you've you've built this playlist for a certain target group and and the editor's job first and foremost is to make the users happy to so that they they come back they listen to the playlist longer they they save tracks from there it's an inspiration it's you know, it's part of the culture, um, ideally. So usually once a track is in that system, um, based on all the different metrics that you look at, not just skip rates, but a, a lot of different things, you have to curate the playlist in the way that it makes sense for the user. And sometimes with a track that is maybe a little bit unusual for that certain environment you say oh give it another week let's let's try and then you'll you'll see if if the reaction is according to your plan but if it isn't then it's not the right fit for this particular environment and then you might find another playlist for this track but if you know you also you have limited inventory you can't you can't just push a track forever that's just not the right fit for a playlist. Mm. So I think, I mean, I know that you said you don't want to talk too much about Spotify, but I do feel we have a responsibility to a lot of our listeners who are pitching to Spotify and mm. pitching to streaming services. And you, of course, being on the other side of it now, have this, what I see is a bit of a competitive advantage uh, when it comes to pitching. Are there any tips and tricks that our listeners could take from your experience on getting playlisted? Yeah, let me put it this way. Often, because of this competitive advantage, people ask me, okay, can you get me on playlists? Um, <laughs> how, what do I do? Yeah. And then I usually say, you're asking the wrong question because the question should be, what can I do to be as independent from playlisting as possible? And um, there are tools and there are things you can do because a lot of people just wait till re release date and then the, the track drops. They're looking at the, at the editorial placements and they, are, they might be happy or they might be disappointed. But owning this relationship between the artist and the fan is far more important and far more valuable 
than waiting for the right playlist. It can help a lot and it has helped a lot. But if you look at um, the content strategy of not just Spotify, but every other DSP, as I said, the, the most important relationship in that editorial space is between the editor and the user. And the, um, the, the relationship between the editor and the artist or the label is secondary. So it's always more important to build a compelling content offering for the user. So what can you do as a label instead to build your own connections with a fan? As it's a story as old as time. Like it doesn't matter how much the technology changes. It's the same shit. Don't make don't make sure your whole career isn't built on Triple J adding your song to a playlist mm -hmm. or whatever radio station you're getting. Music Friday. Yeah, totally. It's like you've got to build real equity in your business, and it can't be based on you know random gatekeepers here and there. Mm -hmm. and I think that's spot on. And hasn't there been instances where it's actually detrimental to an artist's career if they get on New Music Friday and then people skip it? You know, then the algorithm might see it as uh, a song that people don't want to listen to, yeah. whereas, you know, it's the difference between passive and active listening, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah you have to, especially as an, as an emerging artist, you have to be careful to, you know, careful what you wish for because you're competing against the Beyonce's and the Ed Sheeran's in that space. And it might not, if it comes too early, it might not be at the right time. So making sure that you build this um, this relationship with fans early on and don't be too passive about it. So mm -hmm. work on your own artist playlist, make it collaborative. If you, if you have an artist playlist and you have a decent following on social media, ha make it a habit to post it once a week and say, I've, I've made updates. These are my favorite songs. Spring, sprinkle your own songs in that playlist because fans won't mind because they're already following you. But make it, make it um, a group effort and say, which songs did I miss? Which, which ones should I definitely listen to? And then act on it, put uh, recommendations in the playlist, and then your fans instantly have the, something to talk about and, and are excited about it. And you build a community around that. Mm, and I love that point about not competing as well, because Taylor Swift actually moved her album release date when she found out when Adele was going to release her record. Yeah. And she's the, one of the biggest artists in the world. So if, even yeah. if she is considering a non-compete thing, <laughs> our indie yeah. artists should be too. Yeah. Listen um, to Taylor. Nina, 2019 Universal bought in grooves. Mm -hmm. That was a year before you came on board, right? Yes. Okay, so you guys are based in the Universal building, owned by Universal. Yeah. How does your um, P&L budget, KPIs, all of that, how does that integrate with Universal? So George Ash is head of Universal, you're head of Ingrooves. How does that relationship work? Where are the P&Ls shared? Where are they not? Can you unpack that a bit mm -hmm. for us? Yeah, um, they're not shared. So we report to our headquarters in LA. So I report to Bob. And one of the biggest advantages that Ingrus has is this global network. We work as a global team together and um, Universal decided to keep it that way. So instead of plugging it into the local opcos of Universal, we have um, a global PNL that we all work on, and each 
um, market has their own PNL. That when you that say we, you mean in groups, not universal. In groups, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and of course, in groups, uh, um, global is part of universal global, but um, we as a local team have our own PNLs, and it's not connected to to universal here in, in Australia. So your success. Um, will have no influences on George Ash's KPIs at all? Besides market share. Okay. And what resources do you share with Universal? Um, what do you mean? So do you share, so you obviously share office space. Mm -hmm. Do you share HR resources? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you share marketing people? What, like what, what mm -hmm. you don't share the technology is what I understood before. Universal, parts of Universal use our technology as well. And okay. we distribute, for example, BTS and all the, all the big, the big K-pop uh, titles that come through that. That would um, be a fun one to work on. Yes. <laughs> you just know it's going to do well. Yeah. yeah. Good I mean, for the, the cash flow, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. good for the cash flow. Yeah. 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 Would you yeah. say that they're your highest earning group on Titan? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Do they earn more than all of the Australian market combined, uh, if we agree. Probably. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's the biggest band in the world. I know. They're so massive. So then, oh, I feel like I'm jumping around a lot of questions here. When you're allocating those resources, right, mm -hmm. you've got one band in an in an Asian market which you are you you look after. Yep. Um, who own, if not more than the whole of Australia you know, close to it, whatever, it's comparable. Mm -hmm. Do you then split the resources evenly, like in terms of your headcount, your like efforts? Is it 50-50 BTS in Australia? Like how does that mm -hmm. how does that work? Well, BTS is linked to the US. So it's not, um, our our team in South Korea, they, they play a big part in that, but that's um, allocated to the US. But Got it. Well, we have other pretty big K-pop titles. Mm -hmm. We look at it from a, what do you need type of perspective. So um, in, a, um, in my region that I look after, we have some shared resources um, like label operations, etc. Um, and then we look at the individual markets and say, okay, we need, for example, last year we decided to hire um, a commercial strategy person on top of the existing team just because we needed it. And what does a commercial strategy person do? That's the person that owns the relationships with the DSPs. Um, the you know all the all the pitching go through uh, through that, but also on the other other side, um, educating our labels and you know best practices, etc. So it's not just pitching and um, that, but also helping them grow their business in the in the DSP world and Facebook and, and TikTok and everywhere where music uh, can be monetized. Mm. So you mentioned, okay, BTS signed out of America. You obviously sign a bunch of label deals here, artist deals here. Um, how does it work in terms of uh, global support? So I'm an Australian label and I signed for the world to Ingrooves, what is the strategy that Ingrooves or the resources Ingrooves can offer an Australian label globally? But more importantly, what are the incentives for American or 
European, UK offices of in-groups to actually support that Australian label or support that Australian artist because there are other labels out there where there's almost a disincentive. Mm -hmm. So you will sign to a label for the world um, in Australia and a label in America will actually make less money like exploiting your record than mm -hmm. they would have a local signing because of how the royalties are all split internally. The Australian artist doesn't know that, but as, mm -hmm. as far as the incentives work in the back end, you know, yeah. they're more incentivized to promote their Australian art, or their, their mm -hmm. local signings in those local markets. Yeah. How do those incentives work in Ingroups? Okay. Um, just from a, from a numbers perspective, I have two, two revenue buckets that I, that I look at. The first one is my domicile labels and artists lab, artists and labels that are from Australia and New Zealand and how they generate revenue on a global scale. It doesn't matter where, it's just the overall um, glo global revenue that goes directly into my PNL, my local PNL, and that's um, what's also um, tied um, within our uh, headcount, et cetera, and overhead in general. So that's where the margin comes from. But then there's the sec second bucket, and that's overall international and local content that generates revenue in Australia and New Zealand. And that's also important for my success here. And that's what I'm measured by as well. So, and that's the case for every other market. And also we just, we are a global team and we don't think in those market buckets so much. We, we talk to each other on a daily basis and if there is an opportunity for a certain release to be successful in this market, then we look at it as a team. So usually what happens, the ideal is that we already talk to the label during the onboarding process, etc. What are your goals? Where do you want to be successful? Where have you had successes before? Is there already a bubbling audience in a certain market outside of Australia? And then we look at it um, from that perspective and as, take it as a starting point. And then we'll say, okay, what have you done in the past to grow in that market? What is your plan for this particular release in that market? And then with that information, the label manager here who takes care of that label will go to the colleagues in, let's say, the US and say, okay, this is, this is the project. This is what the label has done so far. This is what they're willing to invest in the market. What do you think? And then you'll get feedback saying, hmm, for this, college radio will probably help a lot or um, they need to invest more in digital marketing or they need to get a get a feature artist on board and that's what mm. yeah so i always look at the incentives because that i think regardless of what the philosophy is the incentives always dictate behavior so hearing you you're saying you are kpi'd on generating revenue for your local signings globally but as well as commercializing global signings locally as well so you have two very distinct kpis yes. and that's the same everywhere in the world yes. So if Australian artists signs to in-grooves and they have um, some ability to demonstrate revenue in another market, then that person in that other market will be just as incentivized to promote their record as they would their own local signings because there's two distinct KPIs. Yes. That's really interesting. 
do you do you understand that that's different to the other majors and stuff? Is that is that am I understanding yeah. that right? That's yes. very different. Yes, because uh, traditionally a lot of major labels, in particular, but also distributors, are very localized and um, focus on their local markets. And, and as you said, the incentive is to grow your local business and everything's tied to the success of your local artists and labels. And that's not the case with that. I mean, it's super important, but it's not just um, that for us. And I think it's, it's the right thing to do, if I may say so. <laughs> it's just, it's a global marketplace. And that's the only way if you really, especially here in Australia, where it's exporting music, it's is such a big topic for everyone. And we have excellent music, but sometimes there are limitations just because of that. And um, yeah, it just, it has to be different in order to truly tap into that global marketplace. Tell me about the team here. How big's the org chart? You know, what is it now? Where do you want it to get to? You know, who's doing what? Yeah. Um, at the moment, there are, in Australia, there are three of us. Um, we are hiring a, th a fourth person at the moment. So right now we have one person who takes care of um, all of the label and uh, label management and business development. Um, she'll get support soon, hopefully um, within a month or so. Then we have the commercial strategy person who takes care of the relationships with the DSPs and myself who, you know, I, I do BD conversations and I'm there for, for our labels to especially talk about DSPs and the, you know, the over, overarching strategy, etc. So I'm available for our labels, but of course I focus on other things as well. And BD conversations meaning business development. Yes, yes. exactly. So talking to potential new partners and, and explaining what we are all about and so on. Yeah. And then in Southeast Asia at the moment, we have um, a team in Indonesia, in the Philippines and in Singapore. So those um, markets, Singapore is, is also commercial strategy because there are a lot of where the, where the DSPs are located for Southeast Asia and South Korea um, have a team of three at the moment. So where do you, do, do you have plans to then expand that team over time or, and, and how yeah. do you plan that growth? Is it based on revenue or are you gonna hire ahead of the curve or what's the, what's the vision there? Yeah, it's um, based on revenue for sure. We have a, for each market, we have a five year plan based on revenue. And then also with that, looking at headcount, it's a little bit like looking into the crystal ball. So things can change. And especially in this very tech heavy music space, I'm, I'm always prepared to, you know, change the whole game mm. <laughs> along the way because things can change the, so quickly we're used to that lots of pivots mm. yeah yeah <laughs> pivot, pivot city over yeah. here pivot city yeah. <laughs> totally been made redundant before yeah sure let's do it have you really worked in the music industry if you haven't been made redundant yeah. or fired at least once i've been fired twice yeah yeah they made me redundant and then they gave me another job so it's like oh yeah just kidding <laughs> the worst feeling yeah i know so, um, okay, your, your growth is based on your revenue then. Yeah. So can you tell us about how you plan to grow that revenue? Is it 
um, signing label deals? Is it signing artists? Is it doing deals with artists that have already a lot of success? Or is it signing completely green artists and trying to build something out of nothing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our perfect partner is an established label because we, we don't really do artist services that much. So we used to do that um, before acquisition. There was there was a project within InGrooves that um, had, I think it was called In Residence, um, where you had this label-like structure that helped artists grow um, in that space. But we as InGrooves, we aren't a label. And sometimes it's very hard to mimic that for an artist that doesn't have the right infrastructure around them. So if we do artist deals, and we do them sometimes, but I'll do less and less of them just because of the experience that I now have and just looking at how we can actually support them in that space. So if we do the deal with an, with an artist direct, they have to make sure that they have um, someone who takes care of um, the release planning and does the a and ring as much as I want to do that. It's not my place. It's not my my position in 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 the music industry and in this um, supply chain, basically. So, yeah, um, we the ideal partner that we have, they have an existing infrastructure that is a label and we add to that and that's where we are really good at and i find it if if i was to um take on an artist deal i really have to make sure that i can keep my promise that is help them grow and and be successful and give them everything i have to be successful in that space and if i can't do that based on the circumstances and and missing parts in that um, team structure, then I failed them and I don't want that. So your ideal customer, client, partner, however you phrase it, is a a label that is really well structured and is kind of doing their own thing and, yeah. can, and can operate self-sufficiently and then you come in and amplify that and support that and provide the pipes basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which seems um, to tie into the overall vision of wanting to empower Mm -hmm. artists and empower mm -hmm. labels as well yeah interesting. Yeah. yeah how do you then broker those deals like what do your deals look like are you giving big advances are you doing super skinny royalty deals like well, how do you then structure those kind of all of the above yeah okay. <laughs> depending on on what they need and what um what makes sense for us so usually i try to find out what what they're looking for what their needs are where where in their um, system they need support so we also have we have a royalty accounting system you can we have different different tiers there's for a very lean operation we have register splits so if you have a lot of features like especially in the hip-hop or electronic scene you can just set up pays in our system and pay your collaborators direct then there is um, Register Pro, which is more sophisticated and, and targeted towards a label that has more complex deals with um, their artists as well. You can feed in uh, marketing spends that you've, you've done and you get statements for, for everyone involved. And then a third 
One is um, an, our royalty accounting team doing everything for you, like a top tier. And then, yeah, also figuring out, okay, where do you want to grow? Is that a market that we can support you in? Is that is your do you do you want to be on playlists only or are you are you excited about the technology that we bring to the table and do we share a certain vision um, and then yeah we'll figure it out so how aggressive are you planning to be in market do you want to actively go out and in an ideal world would you like to sign a new label deal a quarter a month a week like how aggressive are your or how ambitious are your revenue growth acquisition goals or deal making goals um well it sounds a little bit odd but if i only sign that one deal that is perfect this year i'll be fine i mean we signed more more this this year already and um we are successful in that space but it's more about finding the perfect part and it's also for us retention is very important as well it's not just about getting that one deal in and then after two or three years parting ways again so retention is really important having that long-term successful partnership together growing together that's um yeah even more important than getting a lot of deals in the door because i'm also i'm i have to be mindful of the limited resources that we have and i need my my business to be scalable and i need to find the right partners who fit in that system so that my existing partnerships don't suffer because i made a bad decision in that space nina i have loved hearing you talk about ingrooves i have um i've learned a lot i'm sure a lot of people in the music industry in australia aren't even that familiar with Ingroove, so I'm hoping that this will change that. Um, it's very exciting to hear about what you're doing, where you're gonna take it. We, we can't wait to see it. I wanna uh, leave this with one question, and that is five, 10 years, however long you're at Ingroove's, what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy? That's a big question. <laughs> That's why we saved it till the end. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> well, you know, I... The part that I love most about my job is I can empower people internally. And I, I really want to make a difference in the, the lives of my team. And I want to leave them with the feeling that, I've, that they've learned a lot from me and that they don't need me anymore. So one of my biggest goals for my team and, and they're pretty, they're all pretty new to this market. We are a pretty young region compared to others. I want them to be very confident in their business deci decisions. I want them to be confident in, you know, their, their path and successful. And yeah, that's really my, my main goal to, to support my team and then step aside and just let them run. Nina, it has been 
an incredible privilege to have you here. I'm really grateful you came, Poppy. Really, you're really grateful she came? Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> and just, just amazing to see a, a woman in such a high profile and, and powerful role. And, you know, there is this saying, you can't be what you can't see. And so I, I hope that there's a lot of listeners out there who are perhaps young women wanting to get into the music industry that see you sitting here and see all the success that you've had and just go, yeah, cool, I'll do that. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, thank, thank you so you, much. Nina. Thank you. Thank you.